0: This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. This week, we're in Chapter 3 of Murder in Paradise, where I share stories of crimes that occurred in some of the most picturesque and serene places on Earth. In this episode, I'll relate a mystery that occurred on the beautiful island of Aruba when a beautiful blonde goes missing while on vacation. And I know what you're thinking. I've got to be talking about Natalie Holloway. But you know me, I'm always turning over every stone to try and find something just a little different to share with you. So this episode, while not about Natalie Holloway, will include some eerie similarities and even ties to her case. If you don't know about this case... Natalie Holloway was an 18-year-old high school student who went missing while on a graduation trip to Aruba in 2005. If you want to hear the whole story that I won't share here, I recommend listening to episode number 128 of the Generation Y podcast or episode number four of True Crime All the Time Unsolved for all the details. This story begins six years after Natalie Holloway went missing when another petite blonde woman went missing in Aruba. Secrets would come to the surface after her disappearance, and all was not as it seemed, even to those closest to her, her family, friends, and even her longtime boyfriend. This is Chapter 3, Missing in Aruba, The Disappearance of Robin Coulson Gardner. On Thursday, August fifth, 2011, 40-year-old Richard Forrester was desperate to reach his girlfriend, 35-year-old Robin Gardner. Robin had left the previous week, telling her boyfriend that she would be visiting her parents in Orlando, Florida. Richard and Robin had been dating for over two and a half years at that time. They had even discussed getting married, and Robin stayed with Richard at his apartment several nights per week. She had recently lost her job as a dental assistant in Gaithersburg, Maryland, and Richard thought some time away to visit her family and enjoy the summer weather in Florida might cheer her up. But he'd become puzzled when Robin called him earlier that week, He could hear odd clicking and buzzing noises over the phone as they spoke, as if the call was coming from outside of the United States. She got off the phone quickly, saying she couldn't talk. The next morning, Monday, August 1st, he received an email from her. She told him her parents had surprised her with a family trip to Aruba. The following day, Richard saw a post from Robin on his Facebook wall. This sucks, she wrote. It was time-stamped at 2 a.m. on Tuesday. He sent her a message asking her to call or message him. Richard wanted to find out privately what was going on. She didn't respond. Ten hours later, still not having heard from her, he posted, Where are you, baby? About three hours later, she finally sent him a message. I love you, she wrote. I care about you, and we'll talk about this and sort it out when we get back. It was the last time he heard from her. Robin was scheduled to return on Thursday the 4th. Richard continued to message her, but got no response. Finally, on Friday the 5th, Richard heard from Robin's brother. He broke the news that they had received a call the day before from Aruban authorities. Robin was presumed missing at sea. They said that she had been swept out to sea as a result of a strong current while she was swimming in the ocean. Richard, stunned by the terrible news, would be even more shocked to find out that Robin had not gone to Aruba with her parents. They had not seen her at all that week, and didn't even know that she was traveling at the time. Robin had traveled to Aruba with Gary Giordano, a 50-year-old IT company CEO. Giordano's name was familiar to Richard. He was one of Robin's online friends. She told her boyfriend that Giordano was a platonic friend. She'd even described him as her gay friend. Giordano, when questioned by authorities, told the following account. On Wednesday, August 3rd, he and Robin had traveled to Baby Beach, located at the southern tip of the island, to do some snorkeling in the early evening hours. They were in the water, and after a while, he said, a strong tide began to pull them out to sea. He said he tapped Robin on the leg to signal that they should head back to the shore. He assumed Robin would be right behind him, and as he himself was struggling to make it out of the current and to the shore, he hadn't looked back to check. When he finally made land, he realized that Robin was not with him. She was nowhere to be found. Giordano said he immediately called the police, fearing she'd been swept out to sea. Authorities began searching the immediate area around the shore where she'd last been spotted. They used police helicopters and Coast Guard boats to search the water for 36 hours, but there was no sign of her. Soon, two things would emerge. One was the media attention surrounding Robin's disappearance, and the second was the suspicion authorities soon had about Giordano's account of Robin's disappearance. When local news agencies reported that a blonde American was missing from Baby Beach, reporters immediately began to make connections to the Natalie Holloway disappearance from 2005. There were many eerie similarities. Both Natalie and Robin were Americans. Both were of the same build, between 5'4 and 5'5 inches tall, and 110 pounds. Both were blonde and attractive. And both were staying in the same town in Aruba, or Yanistad, when they went missing. The mysterious disappearance of Natalie Holloway had captured the public's attention worldwide six years earlier, and now reporters converged on the island of Aruba once again when they heard the news about another missing woman. Aruba, an island located in the southern part of the Caribbean, is part of the Kingdom of the Netherlands. Collectively, Aruba, Curacao, St. Martin, and other Dutch islands make up what is known as the Dutch Caribbean. Aruba itself is 20 miles in length, and six miles across at its widest point. It has a dry climate, unlike most of the Caribbean islands, making its weather dry and sunny, and a perfect vacation spot for sun worshippers. Its shoreline boasts many beautiful white sandy beaches that draw tourists all year long. Robin's family was frantic to find her, and Robin's mother flew to Aruba on Friday to help in the search efforts. She also met with Giardano, who was a stranger to her. She was anxious to talk to him since he was the last person to see her daughter. She would later say that Giordano was unnaturally calm and didn't seem very upset about her disappearance. What Giordano did next would cause authorities to take a closer look at Robin Gardner's traveling companion. A search had been underway for Robin Gardner for 36 hours after Gary Giordano reported her missing. Robin's mother met with authorities in Giordano that Friday. Only a few hours later, Giordano left for Aruba's airport. There, he passed through security and U.S. customs. He had changed his flight, he told agents, because of weather. Asked about his traveling partner, Robin Gardner, he explained that she was, quote, taking another flight. The agents reported their suspicions, and authorities soon arrived and took Giordano into custody. They had noticed one thing about Gary Giordano while he was attempting to leave the island. He was drenched in sweat. The law in Aruba allows for a suspect to be detained while the investigation is ongoing for a period of time, even if they have not yet been charged with a crime. Investigators now use this to hold Giordano as they checked out his story. And there were more than a few details of his story that didn't add up for them. He said he'd struggled to swim to shore, but also admitted that he'd never looked behind him to see if Robin was in trouble. I was only busy saving my life, he explained. He claimed that the current was strong enough to begin pulling them out to sea, but when authorities checked on the conditions that day, reports show that the weather was mild and the sea calm. They noticed cuts and scrapes on his legs and asked how he'd gotten them. He didn't have an answer. He also had a large scratch on his neck. Investigators had searched the public beach directly behind the Rum Reef Bar and Grill. The establishment Robin and Giordano had visited right before their beach trip and found a bloody palm print. But the biggest bombshell to emerge from the investigation was that Giordano had purchased an American Express travel insurance policy for Robin Gardner that named himself as beneficiary. In the event of her accidental death, the policy would pay him $1.5 million. Not only that, but only two days after reporting Robin missing, Giordano had attempted to collect on the insurance money. Now authorities would speculate. Was Robin's disappearance planned and premeditated? Had he planned all along to lure her to Aruba, take out a large insurance policy, and then kill her and make it look like an accident to collect the money? Richard Forrester was questioned about his girlfriend. While newspapers and tabloids were most interested in finding out how he felt about Robin taking a secret trip with Giordano, Richard declined to answer, saying the only thing he was concerned about at the moment was finding her alive. We can sort everything else out after she comes home, he said. What he did tell investigators, however, was that he found some assertions made by Giordano unlikely. First of all, he said, it was very unlikely that Robin would go into the ocean to snorkel. Robin's good friend and roommate, Christina Jones, who was also her hairdresser, agreed. Robin, she explained, spent thousands of dollars on hair extensions that she had touched up every two weeks. There was no way that she would take a chance on ruining them in seawater, she insisted. Richard also said he found it hard to believe that Robin would ever sign a large insurance policy naming Giordano as beneficiary voluntarily. Maybe if she was forced to, he said, or was misinformed as to what it was. Others, however, would point out that perhaps her boyfriend didn't know her as well as he thought he did. For example, they pointed out, he didn't know that she'd traveled to Aruba with another man. After an extensive search, authorities now believed they were looking for a body. The island-wide search for Robin was halted, They decided to retrace her steps up until her disappearance to try and check out Giordano's claims about what happened that day. Robin and Giordano had been staying at the Renaissance Aruba Resort and Casino in Oranjestad. On Wednesday, August 3rd, they had driven 40 minutes to the south to the Rum Reef Bar and Grill at Baby Beach. They arrived just after 3 p.m. Giordano said they'd been drinking vodka at the hotel. He also said that Robin had been taking sleeping pills earlier that day. Richard would say that he never knew Robin to take sleeping pills during the day. During the search of the hotel room, investigators would find the sleep medication Ambien. Restaurant employees would say that Robin seemed to be woozy, but they couldn't say if she seemed drunk. Neither she nor Giordano had ordered drinks during their late lunch. Robin's family would say that it was, at the very least, extremely irresponsible for Giordano to take Robin snorkeling in the ocean after consuming alcohol and sleeping pills, according to him. It showed a lack of caring, or worse, if it was deliberate. The restaurant's video surveillance would confirm that the couple had been at the Rum Reef that day. The rental car was seen being parked behind the bar. Later, Giordano would be seen returning to the car. He would tell authorities he was moving it to park it in the shade, but the video would show him returning from the car with a blue plastic cup in his hand. Asked about this later by Dateline's Josh Mankiewicz, he would say it was juice. Why, he would be asked, would you bring a cup of juice into a fully stocked bar? He didn't have a good answer. Some would speculate that he brought something to drug Robin with while at the bar. The couple was seen leaving the bar at 4.12 p.m. Robin was wearing a striped ankle-length dress and high-wedged heels. Her hair and makeup were done, and some would say this was an argument against her preparing to go snorkeling. Giordano was wearing a black t-shirt, khaki shorts, and tennis shoes. Giordano said that they then went on their planned excursion to snorkel on Baby Beach. He said Robin cut her foot on a rock on the way to the water and was bleeding before she went in. Again, some doubted that if she was hurt and bleeding, that she would have gone into the water. They would speculate that Giordano told the story in case blood was later found on the beach. Giordano went into the water wearing swim trunks and his white tennis shoes. The records for the dive club located on the beach were checked, but no snorkeling equipment had been rented by the couple. He would later claim to already have snorkeling equipment that he'd brought with him. It's unclear whether this was determined by authorities or not. In Giordano's account, it seems Robin simply walked into the water with her street clothes on. Again, I couldn't find reports that detailed what she was wearing or if they recovered the dress she'd been seen wearing a short time earlier. Giordano was still wearing his tennis shoes and would later say that they filled up with water, making it harder to swim to shore. Robin, he said, was barefoot. Later, witnesses would say that Giordano's shoes were wet, but his clothes were dry. Giordano said that when he could not find Robin, he ran frantically for help. The surveillance video at the Rum Reef Bar shows him tapping on the now-closed shutters of the restaurant at 6.02 p.m. He is walking, not running, from window to window, tapping once or twice, not calling out or waiting for someone to respond to his knock before walking to the next window. His movements looked less than frantic, almost calm. It was a full 20 minutes later when Giordano arrived at the back kitchen of the restaurant and asked one of the employees to call the police. Less than 30 minutes after the police arrived, he would excuse himself and return back to his hotel to nap. This suspicious behavior, coupled with the life insurance policy, would prompt the judge to rule that Giordano could be held for further interrogation. Now the world wanted to know. Who was Gary Giordano, and why had Robin traveled with him to Aruba? Robin Colson was raised in a suburb of Washington, D.C., and attended South Carroll High School, graduating in 1994. She'd married Kenneth Gardner in 1998, a president of a large construction company. Robin and Kenneth had divorced in 2009. After she and Kenneth had separated, she'd begun dating Richard Forrester. Gary Giordano was the CEO of an IT and staffing company called Leverage LLC. He lived in a $1.3 million mansion in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Richard and Robin had met online through Match.com, and it seems she had also met Giordano on another dating site, unbeknownst to Richard. Robin's friend and roommate, Christina Jones, told authorities that Robin had an on-again, off-again relationship with Giordano for over a year. She said it wasn't a love match, perhaps for either of them, but they enjoyed hanging out together. She wouldn't see him for weeks or months, and Christina would say that Giordano would then, quote, weasel his way back in and begin dating Robin again. It was when she and Richard were having problems in the relationship that she would reach back out to Giordano, Jones said. She had reservations about her friend's trip to Aruba, Robin had confided in her, and Jones asked her if she was sure it was wise to go away with Giordano. Just a few months earlier, Jones was a witness to an incident, where Giordano had invited Robin on a cruise, which she agreed to, and then changed her mind. Giordano then flipped out on her, Jones says. She saw the text he sent her, that she described as aggressive and harmful. He threatened Robin and called her offensive names, according to Jones. Investigators spent time digging into Giordano's past and found a scary pattern of behavior towards women. He would approach them using money and promises to get into their good graces, and later, when he didn't get the response he wanted, would become creepy and threatening, they reported. Giordano married his first wife in 1987, and they had three sons together. She would say that her ex-husband couldn't, quote, control his anger. When they separated in 2001 she filed a domestic violence case against him in Maryland. Eleven days later, she filed for divorce. In 2006, he married again, but that marriage would also end in divorce in 2008. All of the women Giordano was involved with resembled Robin Colson, thin and blonde. After his second divorce, he began dating a neighbor, Jeanette Farago. He came across as a smooth guy and successful businessman. At first, she says, He then became obsessive and began stalking her. He would spy on her and then send her text messages to show her that he was watching her, telling her what she was wearing, where she went, who she was with, etc. She said he'd presented her with tickets for a two-week cruise. When she declined to go, he became angry. In the most chilling incident, he hid in the woods behind her house, wearing a deer mask. He then appeared in her window, illuminating the mask with a small light. He was really creepy and scary, she reported. In 2009, he met another woman online. She was later shocked to discover he had secretly videotaped them having sex and then posted images of her on the web. When she confronted him, he printed up several of the photos and stuffed them into her neighbor's mailboxes. She filed abuse charges against him in 2010, where she reported he'd once told her the world would be a better place without her and that, quote, he could help. She was able to get a restraining order, but the district attorney's office never filed criminal charges against him as she decided not to pursue the case. In the days after Robin's disappearance, Giordano had several conversations with American Express about the accidental death policy he'd taken out on Robin. The policy was purchased just one day before they left for Aruba. He and his attorney would later say that this was a common practice, a way to hedge your bets in case of illness or accident that prevents you from completing your trip. However, most make a spouse or a close family member their beneficiary. Giordano would later say that Robin agreed to make him the beneficiary since he was, quote, paying for the trip. The agent at American Express who took his calls would become so suspicious that he would call both the police in Robin's hometown and the authorities back in Aruba. He described Giordano to the FBI as sounding excited like he was about to win something. The transcripts also recorded Giordano saying that it's, you know, most likely a drowning. More people came forward to paint a picture of Gary Giordano. Giordano had seen pictures of an aspiring model on the internet. She went by the name Taylor Tyler, and she was 17 years old. He tried to reach the girl by phone, and unknown to him at first, instead talked to her mother, Carrie Emerson. She'd answered his phone call posing as her daughter to find out his angle. He told her that he was a producer as well as a professional manager and talent agent. He said a model he'd booked for a photo shoot in Aruba had backed out, and he needed a replacement. He'd seen Taylor's photos online and was now offering her $5,000 and an all-expenses-paid trip to Aruba if she took the job. He said she would have to travel alone. He himself would look after her and protect her. This won't turn into another Natalie Holloway thing, he promised her. Now Emerson told Giordano she was not in fact Taylor, but her mother and manager. She would not allow her daughter to travel outside of the U.S. unsupervised, she announced. Anyway, the job sounded suspicious at best. Emerson then said he offered to include her in on the job. He'd do a mother-daughter bathing suit photo shoot, he said. This sight unseen, she thought, was not only creepy, but unprofessional. She would claim that after she refused, he continued to try to talk her into it, telling her if she went on the trip and slept with him, he would take care of her financially for the rest of her life. She, of course, refused. He then became angry, she said, and told her that he could, quote, make her disappear, and no one would ever look for me. His past history with women seemed to suggest that Giordano would turn angry and vindictive when he didn't get his way with them. Now people wondered, was Robin so needy after losing her dental assistant job that she now took Giordano up on a similar offer? Robin had been an aspiring model in the past, and perhaps now she saw this as an opportunity for an income. Some would even speculate that she'd gone as a paid escort. In what began to reek of victim-blaming, tabloids began to paint Robin as a liar and a cheater, as well as a kept woman, or worse. After two weeks, Giordano was still in custody without being charged with the crime. He was being held in the KIA prison, the same facility where Joran Vandersloot was incarcerated during the Natalie Holloway investigation. Without a body or enough evidence to charge Giordano, prosecutors asked the judge for more time. Over his Arubin lawyer's objections, the judge granted them 16 more days to make their case. Something else then surfaced. Another video of Robin and Giordano together. This one, however, showed the couple in a heated argument. Taken by a closed-circuit camera at the resort where they were staying, the video was dated from the same day Robin vanished. Reported second-hand by a source close to the investigation, the video allegedly shows Robin waving her arms and shouting at Giordano. He is seen grabbing her arms and jerking her back and forth, while shouting back at her. He then grabs her neck with one hand and pushes her back into the elevator with the other. There is no audio on the recording, but a lip-reading analysis was later done that reported Robin saying, I'm out of here, I'm leaving, I'm not spending another minute with you. Giordano is then said to respond, Get back here, I'll kill you. Authorities never confirmed this finding. Also, on the video taken a few hours later at the Rum Reef, the pair seemed to be calm and amicable in each other's presence. However, this was enough for the court to keep Giordano in custody. On August 31st, the magistrate ruled that Giordano would stay in jail for another 60 days while the investigation continued. In another bizarre coincidence, the following day, on September 1st, 2011, Joran van the prime suspect in the disappearance of Natalie Holloway, would be charged with the murder of a woman in Peru. The investigators had theories. Giordano had lured Robin to Aruba where he killed her for the $1.5 million in insurance money, or that he'd grown enraged when he found out she was messaging her boyfriend and snapped and killed her. But they didn't have any solid evidence or a body. They are becoming desperate and put out a plea to the public for any information. Giordano now decided he needed help if he was ever to be released from his sweltering Aruban jail cell. On September 14th, Jose Baez was hired and flew to Aruba to begin representing him. Baez was most famous for defending Casey Anthony, the accused child killer, and getting her acquitted. On September 20th, the police began retracing Robin Gardner's last known steps on the island of Aruba, using two police officers to betray Robin and Giordano, They spent two and a half hours following the timeline Giordano had outlined. They decided his story did not ring true. One thing that was particularly troubling was that he told police he dashed from the beach to the bar desperately searching for help. The surveillance video, as I've already described, proved otherwise. One other portion of the reenactment stands out to me. On the Dateline television program, private investigators were hired to retrace the couple's steps. One question they had for Giordano was, why did he decide to go snorkeling all the way at the opposite end of the island from their hotel? To get there, they would have passed dozens of beaches. The drive from their hotel to Baby Beach was at least 40 minutes away. If they were only going to be on the island for three or four days, why waste all that time driving to a faraway location instead of taking advantage of any number of closer snorkeling spots? His only answer was that someone had mentioned it as a good spot for snorkeling, so they decided to visit it. The beach itself is beautiful and sandy, but the spot Giordano says they went into the water is more secluded and very rocky, somewhat forbidding. He had no answer on the Dateline interview as to why he picked this particular spot to go into the water. He said it was not secluded, and there was no particular reason that location was chosen. Two months after Robin disappeared, no body and no remains had yet been found. Several weeks earlier, the Aruban authorities decided that they were investigating a murder, not just a missing person. But cadaver dogs from the Netherlands were not brought into the investigation until almost eight weeks after she went missing. Many felt it was too little, too late. They were unable to turn up anything after an extensive search. On October 28th, another hearing was held. Prosecutors requested more time while Giordano's attorney fought for his release. The court decided that one more extension would be allowed for 30 more days, but it would be the final one. It is believed that the reason the prosecutors were given so much time, without any concrete evidence of guilt, was that the shadow of the unsolved Natalie Holloway disappearance loomed large. Aruban authorities didn't want to take even more flack from another unsolved case. But time had run out. On November 25th, the judge ordered Giordano released from prison. The prosecutor then filed an appeal to be heard the following Monday. On that day, his last-ditch appeal to keep Giordano on the island was denied. He was released and freed to leave the country after 116 days in jail. He quickly made a beeline back to the States. The Aruban authorities were convinced of his guilt. His statements to police from the beginning were lies, they said. His descriptions of the events of that day didn't match reality. If Robin had drowned, as had others on local beaches over the years, a body would have been found. People didn't just drown off the shore and then disappear, they said. Two days after returning to the U.S., Giordano did an interview with Dateline, in which he denied any involvement in Robin's disappearance and tried to clear his name. He told the same story to Josh Mankiewicz as he had several times before. He and Robin had gone snorkeling, the current became rough, he struggled to get to the shore, and then found Robin was missing. Asked about the video where he seems calm, knocking on the restaurant shutters immediately afterwards, he says he wasn't calm, but was exhausted, scared, and shocked. To my ears, he seems to falter in his speech and stutter when asked for the specifics of the time when Robin went missing. He also recites events in a matter-of-fact way, devoid of emotion.
0: For the first time on television, here's Gary Giordano's account of his last moments with Robin Gardner. We drifted out, and then I noticed that uh, we were getting in deeper water, so I reached out to grab her leg, pulled her leg to signal going in. And as I turned, my shoes had become extremely heavy because we were being pushed out by the wind and some current. And now I was struggling. So that's the last time I saw her. That's the last image I, ha- I have of her. You at one point told police that the water was rough. It was, and I told them that at a certain point, I was struggling to get back. So. You can determine what rough is. You know, there wasn't a tidal wave coming at me, but I was struggling at one point, realized this is, this is, uh, there's a problem here.
1: In fact, he doesn't show any emotion until he talks about his fear for himself, believing that he would never be released from prison. It is only then that he breaks down.
0: As you pointed out, I would not have been arrested and detained for, you know, four months in a prison with murderers if, in fact... I didn't have that insurance. So to me, it, it was, it, it, it stole four months out of my life. Did you ever think you were getting out of there? No. No. I, when we went to, when they asked for the another extension for this month, I had already um, convinced myself that they were going to charge me and they were going to have to um, make amends for the Holloway case. And they were going to do it on me. And help me. You know, never see my kids again. And when she told me that there was no reason to detain me. I fell apart.
1: Giordano would later come up with an alternate theory of what happened to Robin Gardner. Aruba has two main sources of income, and it's not from tourism, he told Good Morning America. It's cocaine and human trafficking. Aruba is located just 18 miles off the coast of Venezuela. There have been reports of drug and sex trafficking there. The Ruben Coast Guard has discovered small boats that were found to be carrying young women who were victims of the illegal sex trade off the waters of the coast. Now was Giordano saying that perhaps she didn't drown, but somehow disappeared within a few moments? and within his eyesight, to be scooped up by the sex slave trade, no trace of Robin Colson Gardner has yet been found. Gary Giordano was arrested for indecent exposure in May of 2012. He was found in the back of a car having sex with a 45-year-old woman in a parking garage. In that same year, he tried to sue American Express for $3.5 million. They had refused to pay out the policy on Robin Gardner, stating that he had lied on the forms identifying Robin as his partner when they weren't married or otherwise related, weren't business partners, and didn't own any property together. They were in a relationship that was described by American Express as casual and (laughs) non-exclusive. So I'll just take a moment to list some of the theories of what might have happened to Robin Gardner. The first theory is that it was an accident, like Giordano said. Swimmers, divers, and snorkelers have said that currents can be unpredictable in that area. Robin's friends and family believe that Giordano didn't care about Robin, that she was just somebody to hang out with, not somebody that he was emotionally involved with, nor she him. And if that's true, perhaps that is why his focus was on saving himself, and he didn't help her get to shore. If he didn't really care about her, then his lack of emotion would come across. But if she did drown, where's the body? That's one of the questions many people have. They believe that if she had drowned in that type of situation, the body would have washed up at some point. But maybe there's no body because there was shark activity in the water. If she did cut herself on a rock before going in, perhaps some think the shark smelled the blood in the water and took her out to sea. The second theory was that he planned and premeditated to kill her after purchasing the life insurance. Some things that point to this, some people say, is that he had a record of theft and shoplifting charges on his records. Some people called him a con artist. So perhaps that financial gain was a motivation. Another theory is that he didn't plan to kill her. That he killed her in a fit of rage and then, again because he didn't care about her, quickly tried to collect on the insurance. Her boyfriend, Richard Forrester, had messaged her just two hours before she went missing. Was this the fight at the hotel? Was he enraged that she was still talking to Forrester and decided to kill her? The last scenario is that she was taken by someone else to be sold into the sex trade. At first, I thought this would be the least likely scenario. How is she going to drown and then be sold into the sex trade? But if you think it through a little bit, you can come with an alternate theory. The other possibility is that this was planned by Giordano that he drugged her and sold her into the sex trade was planned from the beginning. He took out a life insurance policy, lured her to the island, where he was already in contact with someone to hand her over. There was a witness who came forward who said that they saw another man on the beach that day, but that man has never been identified. Then perhaps he drugged her with whatever was in the blue cup, took her out to the beach, and when she was incapacitated, was picked up by a third party. He then would get the payoff from the insurance with the drowning story. And the reason why that is still a theory is that nobody has ever been found. So what do you think? You can discuss this case on the Once Upon a Crime Facebook fan page. I also encourage you to go to the Help Find Robin Colson Gardner Facebook page. Share any information you might have that would be helpful. This is still an open case. That'll do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. Once Upon a Crime is written, produced, and edited by me, Esther Ludlow. Special thanks to Nancy Chen for all her help with social media and marketing of the podcast. Until next time, be good to one another.